Good afternoon and welcome to Unlocking Medical Device Value with Visibility, Security and Automation Health System CIO Media Inc. Production, sponsored by Order. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box and we'll take them a little later in the program. Nice way to see the screen, click on the top center, get it into side-by-side -side mode, then you can adjust the divider to get the video boxes and the slides the size you want them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Teresa Meadows, SVP and CIO at Cook Children's Healthcare System, Todd Richardson, SVP and CIO at Aspirus. Christopher Kuehl, CISO and CTO at Dayton's Children's Hospital, and Greg Murphy, CEO with Order. So let's jump right in. we got a lot to talk about, a lot of ground to cover. Teresa, let's start with you. Can you give me an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, sure. So Teresa Meadows, um, I'm the Chief Information Officer at Cook Children's in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, some people are, always think we're in downtown Chicago, but we're way south Chicago, so uh, just so people kind of know where we are. Um, so Cook Children's is actually an integrated delivery system. So we, uh, it's actually made up of nine companies. So if you looked at Cook Children's, we have our traditional hospital that most people are familiar with right in the downtown Fort Worth. Um, we have a physician network where we employ almost 500 uh, physicians in various specialties and primary care and urgent care. Uh, a home health business where we do home health, DME, and um, you know prosthetics for most of the state of Texas. It's really interesting. We have patients as far as San Antonio, Abilene, where we do home health services. And then the last thing probably people don't know about Cook Children's is we also have a health plan. So when we start looking at diversity across the health system, there's a lot of different things that we have going on, especially when you start talking about, you know, Internet of Things and, and medical devices. So I look forward to the discussion today. Very good. Thank you, Teresa. Todd? I, I, thank you. Um, I'm Todd Richardson, Senior Vice President and CIO at Aspirus. Um, I am in northern Wisconsin, uh, Aspirus. We've got currently 10 hospitals, uh, 78 clinics, post-acute care, much like Teresa described, home care, hospice, um, and about 8,800 employees today. Uh, as I said, we set up in northern Wisconsin. We start just north of Madison and run actually all the way up to the tip of the Keweenaw Peninsula and the Upper Peninsula. Uh, we are in the middle of a pretty significant acquisition for us. We'll be bringing on seven more hospitals, 21 clinics, uh, air and ground transport as a part of the purchase of all of the Northern Wisconsin uh, Ascension assets. So we're looking to go live with that in the next 60 to 90 days, uh, which will substantially uh, increase our footprint um, and, and really continue the continuum of care up through Northern Wisconsin. Um, I've been here about eight and a half years myself. And that's an overview of Aspirus. Sounds like it's going to keep you busy, Todd, for a little while. <laughs> I'll be busy as a bee. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Chris? Yeah, uh, thanks. My name's Chris Kuhl. Uh, I am the CISO and the CTO at Dayton Children's Hospital. 
Um, we have approximately 181 beds across two uh, large campuses and uh, approximately 20 remote sites. Um, we're, we're right around 3,400 employees. Uh, and of that, we have approximately 412 uh, physicians that offer various specialty cares. Um, we do as well, uh, similar to Todd and Teresa, have the home health component, uh, which is always, I'm sure they would agree, it can be challenging. Um, so that's, that's an overview of Dayton Children's. Very good. Greg? Hi, thank you very much. I'm Greg Murphy. I'm the, the CEO here at uh, Order. We're a leader in the security for IoT, OT, and you know, medical devices. The company is headquartered here in the, the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, but with employees around the, the world. And our job is really to help organizations identify you know, any devices that are connected to their network, you know, understand the behaviors of those devices, and ultimately to ensure that those devices and other assets on the network can be can be protected. And we're very, very honored to be here today. And we're honored to work with some of the, the largest and uh, most forward thinking healthcare organizations and healthcare providers in the world. Very good. All right. Uh, first, we're going to talk about funding, getting started, uh, IoT, IOMT, and security. So, Teresa, we're going to start with you. Cook Children's was relatively early to implement this type of security program. What triggered you? Interesting word to use today. What triggered you and your organization to prioritize this? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's really interesting. So in our organization, you know, we really started with just an overall security risk assessment for the organization, which included, you know, all the typical security types of things, whether it's HIPAA security or cybersecurity. And what we found through that risk assessment was that, you know, medical device security is it, it ranked fairly high in some of the risks that we had as an organization, um, considering that we have medical devices, you know, pretty much throughout our medical center, um, throughout our physician practices, which poses a, a, a different issue because they're not as centrally managed. If you look at, you know, um, a hospital, most of the hospitals are, are governed under joint commission and, and the regulations around how you maintain medical devices where in physician practices, you don't have some of that same regulation that uh, helps them maintain those devices. And so that also raised our security level. And then of course, you know, when you start getting into home health, which is um, probably even more Wild West than some of the other areas, we really felt like it was important that we at least, you know, beginning to know where all of our devices are, you know, what you know, versions of the software are running on those devices, what type of security program do we have? And so what we did over time is we just continued to educate our IT steering committee that is responsible for um, our security program. And as we assessed risks, it just became that, you know, these devices were a high risk on our profile compared to other things that we had already been working over, you know, the last, you know, five years or so. Um, and so people felt like it was time for us to really get a handle on um, what we have and, you know, how do we manage these things better. What prompted the risk assessment? You know, that, you know, that's just a cybersecurity best practice. You know, the, the first thing that everybody 
really needs to understand is where are your risks? What are your issues? And so we have a, a security risk assessment that we did of the organization to help us prioritize the program. So, so we would know what should we implement first? What should we do second? What should we do third? Um, and then that security risk assessment actually flows up to our enterprise risk group, which is part of compliance that looks at all the enterprise risks, not just security, but other things that might be um, a potential risk in the organization. And then those things get prioritized. And so, you know, with the help of the media and lots of other things, you know, cybersecurity really became sort of a high enterprise risk. And so it was important for us to really assess where we were and what did we need to put in place to be protected. So we had full support to get that risk assessment done, because until you do that, you really don't know where you are as far as your risks are concerned. Very good. Todd, IT budgets in healthcare are generally tight. Was it challenging to convince stakeholders this was critical to fund and address? Um, you know, it, so it kind of started when I got here eight and a half years ago, and as you transition to any organization, you come in and you're, you're learning about the organization, what you're doing, what you're not doing. Um, and, and what we do every year is have our annual audit um, uh, that, that comes in, audits the financials, and IT is always a part of that audit. Um, pretty early on, as we started looking at the controls we have in place on the IT side and then looking at our medical devices, it became pretty clear as I was working with my information security officer that that was an area that we were very vulnerable in because nobody just really owns it. You know, they, there's, there's back doors to get stuff in getting stuff you know, on your networks, not really having visibility into it. So I, I actually teed it up as one of our audit um, areas for our external auditors to take a look at when um, we were doing our annual audit. And, and you know, the word auditors come up and audit tends to be a, you know, like the federal government's coming here to help you, but it really is a place that in my previous organization, we had an internal auditors we worked with very closely to identify those risks internally to get yourself as clean as you could be before the external auditors came in. Um, here, I don't have that privilege, um, but we do work with external audit to identify those areas that you know are risks. Um, I look at it from the standpoint, it might expose something that you may not necessarily be proud of, but if you don't know it's sitting there, you're putting your organization at risk. So I see it as a, you know, really a gift um, when you get a good audit finding of an area that has concern, um, don't know about others, but typically when things show up in an audit to your board and your audit committee, they tend to get responded to. So it's not something you can just sit around and say, there's this risk that I'm going to ignore. Um, so then, then you got to start looking at how, and we'll get into it, I think a little further, how, how do you start, where do you take ownership? How do you get your arms around it? Um, how, how do you even have visibility into these? And, and then what's it going to take to fix it? So we, we um, do devote dollars within our budget to say, here's what we know we need to do to continue to put that next layer of defense in to protect ourselves. Uh, and, and as this area continues to grow, so many of these are unmanaged devices that are sometimes out of control or out of the, out of the eyes of IT. Um, you know, it's, it's going to take tools and dollars to fix it. You know, we try to think outside the box and try to do things as cost effectively as we can. There are ways with technology to, to, to protect yourself, but you have to have visibility into it. So getting funding for it, um, really hasn't been an issue. Um, even as we've been going through our acquisitions, uh, 
there was an incident that occurred with our re actually we just went live two weekends ago with epic at our, one of our newest hospitals you, you know it's you, you go in and you take over and responsibility for an entire hospital network and you got to figure out how to migrate that in and you know chris you know you're getting ready to put a domain trust, a two-way trust into place with something you have no idea what's sitting out there. First thing you got to do is that reconnaissance. You know, what, how do you, what are you getting ready to assimilate into your network? Um, and just to put something in place without having visibility into it is, um, is reckless, I would think. Um, and, and you have to go through a process. So we, we build, we build into our budget for an acquisition, what it's going to take to do the discovery, to do the migration, to understand what we're doing. Um, you'd rather spend money ahead of time rather than a minute late uh, and then suffer the consequences. So um, we're, we don't throw money at things, but we build it into just part of our good hygiene in terms of how we're going to take these on. Chris, you were mentioned there. I have to give you a chance to comment. Uh, no, I, I totally agree with, with both what, you know, um, Todd and, and Teresa were saying. We were very fortunate with getting, um, you know, started and funding for our, our um, IoT and IOMT security. The year that I started at Dayton Children's, um, I started in September of that year. And by December, uh, we had our first uh, board briefing. Um, they wanted to know the state of cyber. And right before I started at Black Hat, was when um, a, a group of researchers demonstrated to a record number of, of attendees, around 19,000, that you could um, successfully hack a, a medical device and delay treatment or you know, accelerate treatment, all while leaving the, the display showing as everything was normal. And uh, we did the same thing that Teresa did. We did, you know, risk assessment. We knew uh, coming from an outside organization um, when I came over to Children's that we definitely were going all out for zero trust. So we were going to implement zero trust. We needed visibility. And as a part of the risk assessment, <clears throat> we identified, um, you know, medical devices and IoT devices were, were a significant risk factor. Um, I, as, as we all deal with cybersecurity, we're all aware of the CIA triad, you know, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. But for the board and senior leadership, I actually added a fourth, and that's patient safety, so in healthcare. And so uh, the medical device security falls under that patient safety because they're wearable technologies or, or you know, required for, for successful treatment. So that played in very nicely with the zero trust um, ask that that we had for the board to approve uh, the funding for that, and and um, you know so we, that's how we got approval and started going down the the IoT and IOMT security uh, platform. Very good, Greg. Where do you see most organizations start in their medical device security journey? It, it's a uh, it's interesting. I think uh, Todd just mentioned the the word visibility about you know three or four times in, uh, in what he was talking. And I think that really is the starting point for for most organizations in this this journey because it sounds very obvious, but you 
clearly cannot define a security strategy. You can't understand your risks in the way that Teresa was talking about if you don't know what's connected to your network. You know, and that sounds you know, really, really basic, but it's something that I think very few organizations have today. You know, in fact, if I go around and I talk to you know, CISOs in, in healthcare, if you want to have a fun conversation, just open up and say, how confident are you that your CMDB, your asset inventory, actually has all of the things in it that are connected to your network? And the answer is, it doesn't. The, the universal truth is that my CMDB is wrong. It's just a question of how inaccurate you know, it is. You know, sometimes the, the inventories we see are, are maintained in spreadsheets that become kind of out of date the moment they're finished. In other cases, you've got, you know, what Todd was referring to, you've got different organizations that have different backdoors and ways to, to get devices on the, the network. And this has been going on, you know, for years and years. And so one of the, you know, the, the surprises for me when we, we came into this industry, when we start doing discovery on a network and taking a look at what's really there, what's really connected in your, your network environment, and then reconciling that against the, the inventory of what you thought was there, you know, I was expecting that there'd be gaps, nothing, you know, no inventory system is ever perfect, but what we're seeing are not just small gaps, but gaping holes where literally you could only reconcile, you know, 60% of the, the assets. There are devices that are in the asset inventory that are nowhere to be found on the network. There are devices that we're seeing on the, the network that were in no inventory anywhere. So it's a huge, you know, a huge blind spot. And unless organizations, you know, close that and understand what's, what's really there, any of the, the next steps, you know, down the, the journey towards security are really built on, on no foundation, you know, whatsoever. And I think that one of the things that's really encouraging is you hear Teresa talk and Todd talk and Chris talk, you know, their organizations were quite proactive about going out and, and getting that level of visibility, whether it's in response to, you know, a security assessment or an, an audit. You know, the last thing in the world you want to do is be discovering that your in asset inventory is inaccurate when you've got a breach going on. So then you you go back to the, the days of, you know, WannaCry where organizations were running around to say, okay, which, which of my devices might be vulnerable? I don't know. We better just start disconnecting everything until we can can do this type of, of asset. So I think the penalty, the cost of not having that asset inventory can be extraordinarily high. And that's where I think they, the focus now on the start of this medical device you know, security journey is almost always just let me understand what I've got at as detailed and granular level as possible so I can now start to, to take the next steps down the, the path to securing those devices. All right, very good. Uh, Chris, let's go with you on the next one. In your organization, whose responsibility is it to ensure that you have an accurate inventory of all the devices? Is that yeah, on you or JD? <laughs> uh, falls to me. Um, the overall responsibility uh, that right is on my team, uh, one of my teams. We have an asset management uh, you know, team members who are responsible with um, working with other teams like biomed, uh, medical imaging throughout the organization to make sure that what we have in our asset in our asset management database is accurate for any anything that um, is new coming into the organization as well as being decommissioned out of the organization. Uh, we also uh, you know provided access to those groups into our implementation of order so that they can uh, compare 
what we see on the network with what they have, um, you know, in their own kind of separate uh, asset management tracking. Uh, right now, it's still separate. Uh, they they like to, the biomed team likes to keep their own, but we're we're slowly whittling them down and getting them over to our our overall asset management platform. Very good, Teresa. There are many stakeholders with strong interest in IOMT security, clinical engineering, security, networking, IT ops, compliance. How did you get everyone aligned to address this issue? Um, I think a number of our panelists today have already touched on this idea of there being gaps and cracks and overlapping responsibility and politics and turf and all that kind of thing and budgets. And um, So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, you know, I think... You know, the way we went about it might be a little bit different than maybe others did. But the first thing was, is we just needed to understand the data first. So, you know, being able to take the tool, uh, see what's in the environment before we started bringing people in. And, you know, we really, when we talked to these groups, this was really about patient safety. I mean, for all of these groups, I think they they appreciate the patient safety aspect of uh, why we need to start paying closer attention uh, to medical devices. And then I think lastly, it's just a lot of education because, you know, depending on how your organization is structured, um, like in our, our organization, clinical engineering really does the traditional biomedical types of things, repairs, equipment, those those traditional things you see biomed do. But we also have a biotechnical team that reports in IT that really looks at software and security and networking and those types of things. So depending on how you're structured um, really depends on how you want to go about the next step. But the, the one thing that we recognized early on is people really just weren't even educated about the issue. Um, and not really understanding that biomedical equipment typically doesn't have the most recent software patches. Most of the time we don't know what software is actually loaded on those medical devices. And how do we structure a networking uh, architecture to help protect the organization? And so a lot of it really was getting people educated and more of a no blame culture, because I think people automatically get really defensive if you start saying, well, you know, your devices aren't secure. Um, and so we did spend a lot of time with these groups educating, you know, here's what the data looks like. This is what the data means. Here's our opportunities. And this is why they're opportunities, whether it's you know, we need to work with the manufacturers to get better, you know, development of devices. What What is it? And so um, are we 100 percent on board? You know, probably not quite yet. But I, I do think people understand what the issue is. Now it's just a matter of how do you structure a program so that those things get addressed and taken care of similar, you know, to what Chris said, you know, who whose job is it <laughs> to really make sure that the, the risks get addressed. And so that I think that's really the next step in, in the process of, you know, just maturing your, your organization's security program. So that's the million dollar question. And that's something you're currently thinking about working through workshopping, that kind of a thing. Yeah, because, um, for example, clinical engineering, they're responsible for devices that are in the hospital. But what about hospital? What about devices that are in our home health area or they're in our, um, you know, physician offices? Clinical engineering doesn't have responsibility for those areas. So who's responsible for those? So a lot of times those devices 
become the responsibility of our biotech team, for lack of a better term, and outsourcing, you know, some of the support. So it's really trying to figure out who owns what and then what their role is in that ownership. Um, so a lot of the more cyber related activities to biomedical devices fall in the IT team, um, but some fall in clinical engineering, but it's really kind of working through each device type and what does that look like? So it, it's more of a process and less of a you know, decision, okay, all clinical engineering gets everything because you really got to look at each device type and figure out the best you know, support and ownership mechanism for those devices. So that's, you know, if that's where we, as we are working through our plan, that's really what we're focused on now. And then when you execute something like that, when you implement changes, the question is, is what's being taken from one and giving to another something they wanted to keep or something they want to send off? And is the, the entity or the group receiving it, are they happy to have it or do they not want it? So, yeah, it, it definitely could be the hot potato for sure. Right. <laughs> you know, but I think at the end of the day, like if what we've seen is a lot of these issues really take somebody who, who understands security and networking. Um, it's less about understanding how the biomedical device works. And so what we're finding is that clinical engineering might say, yeah, you guys really need to take on that stuff from a security and networking perspective. And our teams are saying, you're, you're probably right because you're going to call me anyway with questions. I mean, so it kind of gets to the point where people kind of realize, okay, here's the dividing line and here's, it makes sense. Now, do we have the resources? That's usually the bigger question. Like, do we have the resources to do everything that needs to get done? And that's where the, I don't want it comes in because they're thinking, I don't mm -hmm one things on my plate. And so, you know, that's really a governance issue. And how do you work on getting the resources that you need based on the pro priority of risk, right? Because some, some devices aren't near as risky as others, um, you know, so you can really stratify the list and really focus on the things that are biggest risks to the organization. Todd, this stuff is, to me, this is the fascinating stuff. Uh, who wants it? Is it a hot potato? Uh, and, and you as the CIO doing that assessment, figuring out, okay, this is where things should belong. And then it's executing that and seeing who's happy and who's not happy. Yeah. That's, you know, when you, it's like who owns security, right? I, I think at the end of the day, the word owns is a tough question. Um, I'm, I, I like to use a racy diagram when I get into these, you know, somebody is ultimately accountable. The buck stops somewhere. It stops with information security. So the ultimate accountability for security of our devices falls within IT. We are the people that have the best knowledge, have our best equipped to do it. Now, whether we, whether we want that extra work or not, the accountability has to stop with us. It, it just does. Now, biomed, clinical engineering, whatever you call it, you know, they are responsible for things. They have responsibility to maintain it. But the ultimate accountability falls down to your IT information security team and, and our organization. And I think it has to be that way, because if I relied on the knowledge and expertise of biomedical engineering, this isn't their space. Um, they want to do the right thing. And so, you know, then then the question becomes, how do I, if I have accountability, how do I control it and influence that? Uh, we started back through the audit we talked about with a, you know, then we start looking at it saying, OK, well, why is it like that? Well, we didn't have a vendor risk management policy. You know, who? When somebody gets to buy something in our organizations, go through purchasing. So if you want to choke something down, 
you choke it at purchasing. So we got our um, vice president of um, uh, supply chain involved. He actually owns the vendor risk management process. So we control the contract, we control the purchasing, anything you're gonna buy. If it smells like, looks like, sounds like, acts like anything related to IT, there's a contract, IT gets involved in it. Our information security officer has to review it. If there's technology in place, it's gotta go through our sniff test. So here's where they have responsibility. Well, I have it in my budget. Why can't I just buy it? Well, because it sucks. You know, you can't, you know, it's not going to sit on my network. It's going to sit on the dock forever. And you're not going to use it. So, you know, it's not perfect. Um, but to Greg's earlier point, if, if you're going to have any hope of controlling what's in your CMDB and have any understanding and visibility to what's on your network, other than, you know, continuing to go through an inventory and inventory and inventory, you, you've got to, you've got to, it may take a while to fix it, but you got to stop the new stuff coming in stop the bleeding, you know, so we, we put the process in place to stop the bleeding. So we do have visibility into it so we can stop it. Um, it's certainly got to be supported at the higher, highest level of your governance. Uh, but at the end of the day, if something goes bump in the night, Teresa, right, something infects your network, you think biomed's going to get woken up and brought in? It's going to be our security team and our network team. And, and so, so I think it's a layered approach. Uh, but at the end of the day, IT has to own it, in my mind, our information security team. Uh, but but everybody owns it, right? We, we, we want to make sure USB, if you're going to bring a USB back from a conference with this great little presentation that Anthony gave us, you know, and you just <laughs> stick it into your computer, it ain't going to work here, folks. It's not going to. So, you know, how do you, how do you put controls in place uh, to help people? Uh, tons of education. Our information security team does a lot of education on email, on all kinds of risks and threats. Uh, but you have to have that visibility at the board level, at the senior executive team level. It's a multi-layered approach, but you've, you've got to start uh, with ownership, knowing you've got accountability without all the ability to control it. It's like the project manager, right? You have zero authority over anybody, but you're expected to bring this thing on time, on budget, hit all the deliverables, manage the scope, uh, so it's it's a tough place to be, uh, but I, I think that's the way it's got to be. Um, and, and then we we use tools. You know, we use order for discovery. You know, we're using uh, Cisco ICE to try to you know might do micro segmentation. But how do you micro segment things that you don't know exist? Right? You have to understand what's on my network. Great. Now I know what's on my network. Well, what's it do, and who does it talk to? Well, this guy talks to that guy. Well, I should probably let that continue, um, but it shouldn't talk to that guy. So, so how do you how do you segment and how do you use the technology on your network to help you manage it? Um, but you've still got to have that accountability. So, long long answer to a short question. Good answer, very good answer, Greg. I'd like your your thoughts. I I think it uh, Todd's absolutely right. Is that you? You absolutely you know, need to have and understand that there's going to be accountability, and that, that typically is going to be with the, the the IS or the information security organization. But I think the the really critical thing is you know, is bringing other organizations into that conversation. You know, it, it doesn't go very well. You know, if a memo goes out from IT that says you know here's a mandate, you know something will be must be taken off our network because it doesn't meet our security standards. 
you know, and then someone comes back and says, well, wait a minute, that, that's the only device we have and it's critical to, to care. So it's really making sure that those, those conversations, you know, take place in advance, that people understand what the program is, that they have an opportunity to, you know, engage in that, you know, in that conversation about what are going to be the, the remedial actions, what's available to you. And I think what I've seen, you know, organizations make the mistakes or get into a lot of the politics and thrash. It's when one organization tries to impose a mandate on the other organizations without having had the conversations, without having gotten the buy-in about what the plan to address it's going to be. All right, very good. Um, Chris, let's go with you here. One challenge that organizations often have is that it's hard to know what is normal behavior. Todd just referenced that about this device. Usually speaks to this other device, but now it's speaking to something else. Um, did you find devices behaving in an unusual fashion when you implemented technology that allowed you to see these things? Yeah, um, we did. Uh, you know, when we first implemented order um, into our environment, we did identify, a, you know, a few devices that were having questionable um, communication and we were able to go back to the vendor and also, you know, biomed and, and a few other uh teams in the organization and determine, thankfully, determine that that was expected communication behavior. It was just unknown that it was going to go to this country or that country. Um, you know, so we did identify questionable or, or uh, uh, you know, yeah, questionable behavior. There was, after, for a few months after we had implemented order, or I'm sorry, I should say that again. A few months after we implemented order, we did have a, you know, an, a potential incident uh, that order really helped save us with unusual communication. Uh, one of our business associates was impacted by ransomware and the uh, ransom, the dropper files started trying to come across the, the site to site tunnel uh, between us and the business associate. And, you know, we were able to identify that very quickly using some of our other um, technology uh, that we, you know, that we have in the, in the environment and drop the tunnel. And then we were able to use order to identify that very unusual activity, trying to call out to the command and control servers on, on the internet. And, you know, it, it through that, uh, use, we're able to quickly identify what the devices were. We're able to provide pictures to field support um, to go out and, you know, and and make sure they were grabbing the right equipment. We're able to provide needed information to our network engineers so they could, you know, disable the ports to make sure that their those devices were quarantined and, and uh, uh, we're able to get everything remediated and back on on the network within approximately 24 hours. Uh, so yeah, I mean, order is fantastic when it comes to identifying normal behavior as well as abnormal behavior. All right, very good. I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit here. Teresa, I'm gonna go with you on this one. A lot of healthcare organizations have focused initially on medical device security because of how critical they are to the organization. Are you as concerned about other classes of devices? Are there any types of devices that keep you up at night? That's a favorite question when it comes to security. What keeps you up at night? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, it, it's funny because, you know, I think medical devices are just sort of the tip of the iceberg. I think once you start talking about Internet of Things and Greg and I have had this conversation. So you start thinking almost everything in our environment has technology associated with it, with the exception of toilet paper. But toilet paper might have RFID on it now that you can't. It's hard to get. So I don't know. Uh, but. You know, one of the things that we've recognized is there are things like building management systems and, you know, parking lot control systems and just your basic microwave coffee pot. All of these things have Internet connectivity now, and they are all potential opportunities for, you know, cyber activity. So I'll give you a, a great example. And I shared this one with Greg. So we had a, a parking lot gate system so basically you know you pull up you scan your badge the gate goes up and we had one of the gates that was having issue and that particular system actually the gates were on a network and when we went to investigate what the issue was that parking lot system actually had malware <laughs> that was actually what was wrong with the system and why it wouldn't work and so when you start thinking about devices, there are all kinds of other ways for the bad guys to get into your system that don't have anything to do with medical devices. And so I think it's really important as we begin to, you know, shape this, you know, Internet of Things process that we really start looking at devices, maybe not directly uh, involved in patient care, but could impact case, patient care depending on how you have your no network architected. The good thing about the parking lot gate is it was on an isolated network, so it couldn't have gotten out anywhere. And that was part of the issue. It was trying to get out and it couldn't. So it was pinging a lot and doing, you know, kind of crazy things. But we would not have thought about that, you know, even two years ago as a potential risk location. Um, and so I think as we have more and more things that have technology associated with them, that risk assessment process really becomes very important and identification of those things because I had no idea those were even on our network. And so um, it's it's definitely something that I think people should be thinking about in their longer term strategy for sure. Greg, is that a whole hospital approach? Does that mean looking at your security fences and what they're running? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is you know one of the, the things that we always emphasize when we talk to, to folks in the, the healthcare space is that you, you can't put blinders on and say, I'm just going to figure out a way to you know, protect my, my medical devices. Because you know, the fact of the matter is that the, the bad guys out there, you know, they aren't sitting there saying, you know what, I want to wake up in the morning and attack a medical device. What they're looking for is just what's on the network that is the weakest and most vulnerable device. And in an awful lot of cases, that's maybe something that's probably more likely to be something like a security camera that's running the default manufacturer password than it is to be a, a multi-million dollar imaging device. And so, you know, once, so the, the real question is, you know, do you have visibility to all of those devices? And then to Teresa's point, it's really, what have you done to ensure that if one of those devices, if any if is penetrated, that it's not going to be able to spread across your entire network and take down your mission critical devices, those that are gonna impact you know, patient care. So it really comes down to ensuring that you're looking at you know, the medical devices, you're looking at the facility systems, the security system, and that you've got a segmentation strategy. So you can say, you know what, that the, whenever the, the weakest link is penetrated, 
I can go to sleep at night knowing that that's not going to be something that takes down my entire the entire hospital's operation. So that's the the visibility. And when we we hear people talking about medical device security, we always want to broaden the conversation. Say the way you protect those medical devices, the way you ensure your patient safety, is by having a very wide lens angle and looking at everything that's that's connected to your network because that's what you need to do uh, in order to to be able to have a sound security strategy. Uh, audience question, Todd, I'm going to run it by you. If IT is taking responsibility for some medical devices, how are you addressing the CMS regulations for maintenance and FDA recalls? You know, you, <clears throat> you know, if biomedical, you know, has responsibility for getting those on there, you know, you, we can't go in and just start putting patches or anything on these devices. We we just can't. That's That's not... That's not something we do. So we've got to work through the process. While we've got accountability, we identify them. We run them back up to the owners, um, either the biomedical or clinical engineering team that owns it. Um, let the business unit area, if it's in a service line, if it's a piece of equipment, radiology, you got to let the folks in radiology know you've got something that's not where it needs to be. How are we going to get it addressed? You know, we we have to shepherd it through the process, whatever that is. Um, and it, you know, if it to Greg's point, you know, if you, if you can't, you know, then you're going to isolate it, micro segmentation, keep it, keep it in its own little, um, little uh, lot. So it can't hurt anything. You know, if it's bad enough, we'll pull it off the network. We'll, we'll kill it. I, I, I appreciate patient care, but I can't have the entire network go down because of one bad modality. Um, you better have standing orders in place. If something goes you got something going bump in the night on your network and you don't have the ability to go kill it immediately, you should get that because uh, you just can't put everything at risk, but you work through your channels. Hey, Anthony, I'm Very, yeah, add to, go ahead, please. You know, I think we all need to appreciate and understand that this is a team sport. And yeah. I think that's what Todd's, you know, referencing, like when you're playing baseball, the pitcher pitches, the catcher catches, the batter hits the ball, right? So when you have a team, the team approach is, you know, clinical engineering is still responsible for ensuring that the device is functioning appropriately. But the security team is responsible for ensuring that device is protected and the rest of the organization is protected. And you need both of those things for a successful device on your network. And so I think it's really, it's not that IT owns the device or the biomedical equipment, we own the security portion of that and biomed owns the, you know, the biomed part of that and everybody's got their responsibility. And if you, one of the keys to this whole equation is really documenting everybody's responsibility in the process because it is a team sport and people need to know, okay, I'm responsible for ensuring that the CMS mandates are met and the recalls are done and the da, 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 da. But security is responsible for if you have an update to a device that's going to impact security, then it's our responsibility to say, hey, I realize you really want to update that device. You can't update that device until we work together on what the best way is to do it. So it's really this team effort. Um, and it's really hard to say you own it or you own it because we really share that. Chris, what are your thoughts on, on what Teresa said? Yeah, she's, you know, they're both, Todd and Trace are absolutely right. You know, we're, we can't go it alone. And and if you try to, right, then a lot of times, um, you know, the like, biomed or, or whoever that other team is that you're trying to interact with, 
we'll we'll take that as you're you know you're playing in their sandbox and they didn't invite you right so um you know i i 100 agree with what what Teresa and, and todd said it is a team sport um you know we we try to reinforce um that we all have the same goal that you know we all all have to play nice together um <laughs> and that seems to work out pretty well with uh you know calming those potential adversarial um stances you know from 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 different teams when when the cyber team comes rolling in and says hey you need to do xyz because of you know whatever um i yeah 100 percent agree with Teresa and top all right very good let's go with our ask a co-panelist greg do you have a question for one or more of your co-panelists yeah, I just, I'd love to, to throw something out as I was you know, thinking about and talking about this industry you know, to someone from kind of more of the just general IT world recently. They said, well, wait, this whole problem of medical device security, isn't this ultimately something that the, the medical device manufacturers themselves are going to have to solve? It? Or is there some you know, role? Is the, the FDA going to step in here and apply some form of, you know, of mandates? And I'm curious to, to see you know, what the, the other panelists here from, what are, you know, what do you see medical device manufacturers doing? And, and do you see a, a broader role for the, the FDA or other organizations in, uh, in helping to ensure the security of these medical devices? Todd, why don't you jump in first? Uh, <clears throat> bottom line, I'd love them to do it and be more proactive. Um, I'm not going to sit and wait for that to happen. You know, I, I, I think in a perfect world, they get pressure. I know through Chime and other formal organizations, we work with those. I, I think it's becoming more and more um, standard for them to step up and do more of that stuff proactively. But again, I, I, I can't wait on them. I have to have a technology and a, and a strategy. If they don't, how do I keep those isolated? You know, it's not an or, sometimes it's an and. If, if, they're, if they have to sit on my network and they have to run for patient care and they're not secure, they still need to run. So now I've got to get a sandbox created so that they can play in their own little sandbox and do whatever they do on themselves. But I can't have them doing that on the rest of the network. Um, so I, I'd love to see more of that. I'm not a big regulation guy, but but I think there are expectations. And you know, those who are putting in good processes, if your technology has to go through a steering team that I have responsibility and I have the authority to say, I'm not going to buy your tool, and enough people do that, they'll put pressure on the industry to say, this is now an expectation. Um, I, I think it's going to get more and more difficult if we have wearables and all these other things that are popping up that are, you know, somebody with a basement and an app development tool is going to start popping all kinds of stuff out. And, and you know, again, I can't rely on them. They're going to make their million dollars and move on. I've still got that stuff that's stuck in my environment. Um, so... Greg, I, I might add a couple things. I mean, I think the device manufacturers have a have a two pronged issue. One is, you know, legacy devices because you know healthcare we keep devices for a really long time, and so, you know, that's a, in my mind that's a harder problem to fix just because the solution can't be go buy another device, right? Um, and then I think the FDA and the medical device manufacturers are doing a better job of getting, as they put new devices on the market, taking those cybersecurity things into consideration. So you really got to look at this as a two-pronged issue. And to Todd's point, you know, 90% of my medical devices are in the legacy category. 
And, you know, 10% are in the new category that actually could be patched or changed or those types of things. So we have to have a strategy to protect the things that we already have that maybe can't be patched or we can't afford to replace. And then, you know, I think the FDA and, and the device manufacturers are working hard with new devices going forward to make sure that those things do have the capabilities for the cybersecurity controls. So it's it's kind of this double-edged sword where if I could just replace everything, I'd probably be in better shape, but I can't. And so we've got to figure out that that in-between ground until that can be resolved. Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it just to echo what Teresa was saying, um, you know, we, we can't really go to the organization and say, hey, that MRI machine that works just fine, you have to you have to replace it because it runs Windows XP. Right. It, it's not realistic. Um, you know, it, it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I echo uh, Teresa and Todd. They're they're right on 100 percent. I think, though, we, we do have a responsibility, though, and what we're trying to do is not getting caught, you know, at budget time going, I have to replace this is how do I get my CMDB more up to date? How do I use ServiceNow and application portfolio management to to give visibility to the organization to say, guys, Here's the train wreck that's coming at us. We have this many devices that are sitting here running an operating system that's going to turn into a pumpkin. Here's these systems that are sitting there running legacy software. We've got to give that visibility to the organization rather than wait for it because, it, you know, even if it's a medical device and a CT scanner or something running Windows 10 somewhere um, or Windows XP, when it comes to capital and they look at me, go, well, why didn't I know about this? Well, because I didn't know about it. But, but it always looks at me, you know, it's got a computer on it with software. That's my fault. So I'm trying to figure out how I get ahead of it and have that visibility. And I, there it is, visibility, visibility, visibility. It's the word of the day. You got to have visibility into this and be that foreshadower of bad things to come. Um, and, and you hate being the guy always showing up saying it's going to be $2 million next year to replace all this stuff. Well, that's better seeing it coming than having it sitting there going, okay, now I got to replace it. And oh, by the way, the supply chain's back four months. And so now we're screwed because we can't do anything and we got to live with it. So, you know, how do we get ahead of that? We've got to get in front of it and right. give ourselves that, any shot. That, that I think is a, it's a great point. So I was talking with a, another a customer and they're having the, the same issue, the, the trace rate of legacy devices. And it, it literally hundreds of millions of dollars of devices on their, in their environment running Windows 7. And a, a traditional IT guy might look at it just like, get, let's get that off the, the network. And then you, you look and say, well, nobody's got $600 million you know, in their, their capital budget to go replace all of that equipment. And it would probably take three years to do it, even if you, you set down that path. So you know, it, it, I think the, the forward thinking you know, IT leadership isn't just flagging, you know, creating that as an issue and saying, oh boy, we've got all of these, you know, these problems. But what can we do about that? What are the other kind of remediation steps that we can take knowing that these devices will be on the network, knowing we will have these, these vulnerabilities, what can we do to make them as secure as, as possible? And that, that's something to, to Todd's point, you wanna plan for in advance. You don't wanna be scrambling you know, and trying to, to put together a plan in, in 30 days before the, the, the auditors come and tell you that you've got this, you know, this major issue. Uh, there are ways to do it. There, as we talked a lot about segmentation, but that's gonna require that you have, as again, visibility, and it's gonna require that you've got a plan in place to to implement those policies to protect these devices and technology on your place that on your in your network that actually can segment it you know nothing worse than saying i'm going to use segmentation 
Well, yeah, with your 16-year-old switches, I don't think so. You got to have how many millions of dollars worth of switches so you can run the new technology. So, absolutely. All right. What we're going to do here is we're going to do, I'm going to give everybody 30 seconds for a final piece of wisdom. What's your best advice to people that are, are listening who are struggling with this issue? What's your best piece of advice for them on how to tackle the problem based on what you've discovered working on it so far? Chris? Uh, don't go alone. Uh, try and get a, you know, a collaborative effort across the teams that um, manage IoT and medical IoT devices and OT devices. And, and uh, try and, and build a collaboration, collaborative effort. That is probably the best advice I could give. Teresa? Yeah, I'd say the, you know, the first step to recovery is recognizing you have a problem. So, <laughs> so I think, you know, the first step I always recommend is you have to assess your environment, whether that's driven by an audit or whether that's just, you know, taking the NIST framework and doing your own self-audit. But you really have to kind of understand where you are because then you can justify things like an order tool or some other thing that you need. But if you don't know what your problem is, you can't really get it resolved. So please assess your problem and kind of document what you have. And then you can, you can see things start to move. Todd. Get started. You know, you get, you know, it starts, you know, if it's a building a house, you start with a foundation, you know, you can't go, um, don't go start inventorying stuff if you have no place to put it and store it. Otherwise, you'll just sit there and run around the grocery store inventorying and inventorying and inventorying. So start with a foundation, get your CMDB in place, get that foundation so you've got a good place to store it and get started. Uh, get yourself a tool. You know, so many times we spend our energy and our projects all around outward facing tools for X service line, for radiology, for lab, for nursing, whatever that is. You know, sometimes we're the cobbler's kids without any shoes and we've got to have the technologies in place in our own stacks to service this stuff. If it's service now that you're starting with, build it out, build it out right, get expertise, start with the foundation, start getting your tools like order to start feeding it. You want something that's feeding electronically, get started. You know, if, if you don't start now, you'll never finish. You'll never Greg, I'll give you the last word. <laughs> I'll give you the last word, Greg. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that one thing is just, you know, you've got to recognize this is not a a short-term problem. It's not going away. You know, in, in the medical industry, device life cycles are not going to be getting shorter. You know, we're going to have, you know, as you know, thousands of vendors serving this industry. We are going to, to have these, these issues, you know, for the, the foreseeable future. So get started, get visibility. And I think the, the worst thing you can do is I sometimes hear organizations say, well, I, I almost don't want to know because if I know, then I've got to do something about it. The answer here is you've got to know, you've got to get visibility because only when you have visibility can you start putting in plan, place plans to improve. And that's going to be a, a journey and a path that you're on for you know, months and, and years to come. And it's just making sure you have that visibility on an ongoing basis is where I would start. Very good. Thank you, Greg. All right. That's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for upcoming events. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Teresa Meadows, Todd Richardson, Chris Kuehl, and Greg Murphy. And I want to thank Order very much for making this event possible and sponsoring. And I want to thank you our attendees. 
And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.